0: David, it's an amazing pleasure to be here with you in Iguazu, Um, what a a conference we're going to have. What we're going to be doing in this conversation is addressing how we speak to people about some of the really topical scientific issues. I have been immersed in this science for two and a half years, but looking at information around COVID, around the pathogen, around uh, the immune response, um, looking at global strategies, looking at how we might do it better. What I haven't been involved in is the very bit that you have been so involved in, which is, of course, around the behavioral science. So um, we're gonna be looking at six common questions that people ask. Um, One of the overwhelming elements that we need to address is that people are having difficulty speaking to people who don't want to listen. They've made up their minds, they've heard the mainstream narrative. Um, In Matthias Desmet's terms, these are people who have succumbed to mass formation. I know you've got views on us. Just tell us about really what's going on there. Why are people suspending critical thought and not open to debate around these scientific issues?
1: Well, I think, critical thought thinking in general is not easy okay and if something and the brain doesn't like difficulty so if something if you have a path of least resistance a lot of people take that i mean uh, convenience is there was a very good uh, nutritional talk i listened to many many years ago and and the the doctor said convenience is killing us
0: Mm.
1: and that's it we we as People, we like to move for what's easy. Thinking's not easy and if you can say that somebody else that's an expert can do that thinking for you and you think you can trust them, then that's an easy way out. And that's where you'll find a lot of people because people feel disempowered about how much they can know about making this decision, whichever the decision that may be, and it's not easy and people don't like that discomfort, and it's much easier to trust an expert.
0: What, what about the, the notion of the actual shutting down of critical thought? Because even if there is a, a flawed ideology there, they will want to follow that in-group. They want to be part of the group groupthink. Is, yeah. it, you well, know, think a,
1: about the consequences of that being wrong. Mm-hmm. Think about the consequences of what a lot of people are challenging the narrative about. It's, it's not pleasant, the thought, is it? You know, what it would mean? How many people have lied to the public in senior positions? And what would that mean? What are the ramifications? So it's really, the way I tend to look at this is, I like to visualise it. And when you think about, in behavioural science, you talk about this thing called choice architecture, but it's really just how do we make a decision and what the options open to us. And you'd have two pathways. And this pathway of compliance is painted with Teflon, and this pathway of non-compliance is painted with sludge. Mm. So, and and all the forces and all the ways that we're influenced is nudging most people towards that compliance pathway. And, And a lot of it's not even conscious. And then, you know, the person will say, oh, well, all the scientists agree. That's one of the big, you hear these things all the time. And people, I think people, because it's so hard to know, because this genius is working on a lot of these things, and how the world works and how we think it works is often very different. So I think it's really, and it's, it's unique for everyone, how are they seeing this problem? How are they construing the situation? And I, I feel like a lot of people don't feel like they have the resources or the knowledge to make this decision. So it's been deferred to someone who they consider to be an expert.
0: That's yeah. really
1: what's going on. And, and, and when you start challenging that, that doesn't feel good. And, and what's really fascinating is this, there's this thing called the uh, the because effect, okay? And it turns out that if you say to somebody, you know, can you do this? You know, the example they used was pushing in a photocopier queue. And then you generally get about 60% of compliance. But if they say, can I do this because, and you give a reason, that goes up to 94%. Mm. If you give a reason that makes no sense, it goes up to 93%. Mm. So it literally turns out the because effect is just you know, like a trigger in our mind to say, okay, they must have a reason. and Often people don't question if that reason's good. Now think about what's going on at the moment. How many people are being given excuses that don't have any logical value? Mm. Think about all these news articles about people dropping dead because they're waiting in an airport or people dropping dead because it's hot. But if that was true, wouldn't all the people in the hot countries be dropping dead all the time? Wouldn't they have the highest heart disease? Mm. That, or highest heart attack rate, but that's not happening. But see, that takes a step beyond just what you're presented with.
0: Absolutely. Uh, on the issue of labels, yes. Um, obviously, Matthias Desmet's new book, um, looking at totalitarianism, and really bringing the concept of mass formation to the public, it's another label. There is a problem with labels, isn't there?
1: Uh, massively so, because. When we look at structures and, and, and formulas of things like divide and conquer. So a lot of these things, if you try and work out what is it, what does it do? Divide and conquer effectively is you create a group so you create a classification. And then what happens is that you identify with one of those groups. And then what each group does is it compares itself to the other group. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's football teams, sports teams. So that's what happens, you know? you've got these you know this team and that team and then people identify to be part of that team and then they compare themselves and always you want to be in the morally superior group that's the group you join the problem comes is when the two groups try to communicate because all the empirical studies show that in fact if you're in the group that's opposing the group you're talking to they dismiss everything you say mm-hmm. just by the fact you're in that group so really it doesn't matter if you come up 2000 facts to me if you're in the group that's opposing to me, instinctively, I'm going to ignore everything you say. But what's even more problematic is that when they did these these tests where they would take two groups of people in opposite views, they presented each other with the opposing view really well articulated. So they expected people to come more towards the middle. Mm. The opposite happened. Yeah. When you present people with data that conflicts what they currently believe, they push the other side. And that brings us on to that brilliant quote by Max Planck. Yes, Science moves on one funeral at a time,
0: yeah.
1: okay? Now brilliantly you know, articulated to, to explain what was going on. So whatever establishment you have, it does not like being questioned. Mm. And when it is questioned, it feels threatened. And of course it will defend itself. And a lot of the time that defending itself is attacking the other side.
0: Absolutely. Well, look, we're going to be looking here at at six questions that that people ask an awful lot, particularly as of recent times. This is an area with a huge amount of uncertainty. There's a lot of emerging science coming out all the time. So the goalposts of the science are moving. Um, And um, in many ways, we're asking the impossible of you because it's how do we, when we present some of the known science, understanding that the, a lot of people are looking for a resonance. I, I've, I've looked at the, the sort of neuroscience research behind it, which is looking at how people try and find a consistent logic structure between knowledge that they can find. It may not be the totality of knowledge. It may be cherry pick knowledge versus a belief system. Yep. And they're trying to get these things to resonate together so they to get this consistent logic structure. And when, the, when they find that, they go, Aha, uh-huh, that's me. That's what I resonate with. That's what I'm going to go for. That's what I believe in and know to be true. Which yeah. is why this concept of... But, but um, the reality is that consistent logic structure doesn't follow a set course. And mm. it can be different between different groups. Um, and it can change over time, can it not?
1: It can, but you see what's more interesting is that do we join groups because we want to believe what they believe? You know, because this is the thing. We often think we join groups because they believe the same of us. But in fact, what happens is we join groups and then we believe the same as them. Mm. So belief systems often get adopted. So you'll see when someone joins a gang,
0: mm.
1: yeah, their own belief system often gets overridden with the gangs, yeah. as people would with religious cults and, and any sort of very powerful group especially very influential ones, and often with these charismatic people at the top, very influential. It's very hard for a person to push back against that. You
0: know? Adolf Hitler was quite influential. Absolutely. Are, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you see all these things, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, group dynamics are very, very powerful. Yeah. You know? yeah. So what you'll feel is that a lot of people will, if, and that's the thing about social proof, if a lot of people are doing it in your gang, country, culture, whatever, it's moving in one direction, it's very hard to push against that. Yeah.
0: Well, look, to... David, let's look at these questions. Sure. First question, Joe Biden was one of many to say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated.
1: They're killing people. I mean, it really Look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated.
0: Now, we have been dissecting these data for many months now and um, what you see is a pattern of science that you can really say there is significant amount of science out there that suggests that that um, people who are vaccinated are more protected however when you look at that science it tends to come from groups, scientific groups that are related to Johns Hopkins, they've been funded by the Gates Foundation. When you look at independent science that looks at the same question, you often see different data. And um, what becomes quite meaningful to us is the work, for example, of Norman Fenton from Queen Mary College, University of London, that has shown that very often the data that's being used to relate numbers to, groups of people who are so-called unvaccinated or vaccinated are in fact spurious and there is a real mixing of categories. Um, and of course we have been very involved in looking at the, um, the cohort of unvaccinated people through the control group cooperative. And, um, that's now got well over 300,000 people in it around the world. And we see a pattern when you look at severity of disease, people who have chosen to not be vaccinated. If you look at hospitalizations, um, the levels are very low, significantly low. So um, from when you look at the, the the evidence that we choose to look at that is more independent, we're really of a view that um, there is no pandemic of the unvaccinated. In fact, we're seeing a manipulation of data to support this view that <laughs> the involves. Um, so how do we address that when we're talking to the public?
1: Well, the, see, first of all, you know, this was preemptive, really, wasn't it, before it happened? Uh, and any time there's a problem, people want a scapegoat. OK, so what you're having, you're having a lot of emotions will come up for people. And if they can point the blame at somebody else, that makes people feel better. So, you know, there always has to be, you know, the uh, unsolved crimes are not really popular. the The data around this is obviously very fascinating because you know there is a certain person um, pushing the narrative who's one of his favourite books is How to Lie with Statistics. Yeah. So you know you can pretty much paint, as you well know, any paint. You know, you can look at things from many different angles. Um, the problem is, is that when someone has an idea in their mind, it becomes very problematic. Mm because there's this thing known as the primacy effect. And all it really means is the first piece of information you are exposed to sets the foundation for all subsequent information. So if you think about people's first exposure to COVID, what was it? Do you remember? Well, certainly in the UK.
0: There will be a fast track vaccine and uh, oh, flatten the curve. No, yeah.
1: Before that, what was going on? People dropping dead in the street.
0: Yeah, okay. Was that ever a thing? Yeah, not, not, not never, that I, I, not, I never no. saw. No. no
1: one ever saw, you know, but yet it doesn't matter whether it's true or not, because as far as the brain's concerned, the first piece of information is the most critical because it needs to know where do I place this? In my mind, do I place this as in the mild diseases or do I place this in the particularly deadly diseases? Yeah. Once it's placed there, all the information is then subsequent on there. So once you label, you know, of the uh, pandemic, the unvaccinated, suddenly the problem is the unvaccinated and then all the information is getting proceeded through that. So. This is why a lot of the time, if anyone was to present a false narrative, the first piece of information in which they do that is critical. Mm. Yeah, because it then directs the attention. So when the problems do come up, people will be looking at, oh, it's those unvaccinated and they're dirty, because the alternative is really not a pleasant thought for someone that has chosen to be vaccinated.
0: Yeah. And, and of course, the, the other difficulty is that it's assumed that all the unvaccinated, the great unwashed are all similar. So if you look at the fact that, that most of Africa is unvaccinated, it yeah. does not have a COVID problem. and That's
1: an inconvenient truth. It's an inconvenient <laughs> truth, absolutely. <laughs> okay.
0: And if, if you look in the, in the Western world, um, in Europe and North America, for example, um, there are huge differences in behavioral patterns, socioeconomic status, health choices amongst people who choose to be unvaccinated and um and of course the the cohort we've been particularly looking at is what might be described as a health aware mm. unvaccinated population why do we think that well because we see that they're doing many things very actively in place of being vaccinated so they for example the taking of, of of supplements, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, in question, yep. is at very high levels, about 70% of well, them are taking it.
1: This brings us on a second that's really interesting. I was reading a study the other day, it was around tornadoes, and they were talking about self-esteem and mm. self-image and how it effectively is sometimes a matter of life and death. Mm. And they were quoting um, two states in the US, which effectively were equal in terms of their exposure to tornadoes and how many tornadoes and the severity etc but one of the states had three times the death count as the other Mm. state Mm. and the only conclusion they could come to was it was to do with the belief system of those kind of people in that they one of them was oh we've just got to trust that it would be okay and the other group of people right, science come coming, we need to prepare
0: yeah
1: and it was literally a matter of life and death so those people that choose not to outsource their decision strategies to, say, an authority or government or a company that benefit for different interests, a lot of the time take that responsibility themselves. Yeah. And those are very much going to learn. And a lot of the time, it's because they, you know, they've either had a health issue in the past or they learned not to trust certain systems. So yes, they will be uh, very aware of the kind of elements they need to be aware of. So yeah. yeah, I think you're right, I think they're going to be a lot healthier by nature.
0: Yeah, um, or, or, the, or there is not a huge COVID problem uh, as we've seen in, in much of Africa, but it's certainly this this notion that um, COVID disease is associated with unvaccinated populations um, is, is, is a bit of an irrelevance, given that we can see um, that there are vast areas of the world where there's very low coverage in lower income countries, even where people don't necessarily have the highest level of nutrition, yeah. yet there is not COVID disease exactly. at any...
1: So this is the real key thing, because there was one, a few of the guys that I spoke to, you know, science graduates and, and experts, and they're saying, strike from the start, the numbers didn't match the story. Mm. And Of course, that would should set things going off for people. But the problem is that when someone has an idea in their mind, coming back to a primacy effect as well, is that the brain is often like an egg, in that once it's got that sperm, it shuts off to anything else. Mm. So the brain, once it's got a reason, it will shut down. So, it coming back to it, because, so when you say it's a, of the unvaccinated, people go, oh, that's the reason. Mm. Because the brain wants ease. Yeah. And a lot of people, you think about, I mean, how many people, especially all the problems have been thrown at them at the moment? You know, and of course, you know, one particularly.
0: of if you have been vaccinated because it's easier to think of it as someone else's problem. You, you've now done what the collective has asked you to do. And then you can just pass the problem to someone else. And so it's difficult for those people to accept the fact. I mean, the other thing I've heard from people that I know who have been so-called vaccinated, who then have had COVID disease, they say, Oh, it was pretty mild, but they don't bother to ask, what it was like for me, who was unvaccinated, who yeah, yeah, yeah. also had it quite mildly, Again, it and, and, to <laughs> and to look at the wider data that shows that the... Well,
1: so, so much of it is cognitive dissonance, which is really problematic. Uh, and that's the classic, you mm. know, and of course, you know, there's, you know, oh, I had it, but it would have been much worse if, you know, I hadn't have been jabbed, because what's the alternative? Because think about it, the lines of thought. So that's a line of thought that allows you to still see yourself as very... Moral that you've done the right thing, and so it's it's just a it's just a thought that's much easier. You'll turn a pathway, the path at leads you know path less travelled, is to say, hang on a minute. You know, I've purchased this. Is it as good as I thought it was? Mm. You know, and that that takes a real lot of courage to take that line of thought.
0: Yeah, and mm. and it, I think a similar problem exists in terms of understanding vaccine injury mm. with these COVID vaccines because you've taken it, you cannot be unvaccinated if you've taken the vaccine. Yeah, And um, it's extraordinary to see the level of shutdown there is amongst many people who've received the jabs looking at vaccine injury.
1: Yeah, well the, uh, something that Caroline said at the Better Way Conference really, I was like, wow, that's, it was just a line of thought that's really incredible. She says, when she would say to someone, you know, I've got a vaccine injury, they'd say, oh, well I was fine. Mm. And it's like, and I thought, yeah, it's kind of wrong But Then when she related it to a metaphor, metaphor is really key. She said, if someone said to you, oh, I've been you know, abused by my husband, you wouldn't say, oh, my husband's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. You, you're literally dismissing that person's experience. Mm. But then the, the deeper question is, though, why would someone dismiss that person's experience? Because the people dismissing the experience are generally not nasty people. They've just been really you know, psychologically manipulated to a degree that people can't even fathom. And then they're put into a spot where, you know, that person's injury is really threatening that person's belief systems. And we don't like our belief systems threatened. That's really why Max Planck said, you know, science moves on one funeral at a time. The established idea does not want to be questioned in people's minds. It does not feel good. So these people that are getting sick and ill, they're really threatening people. And there's certain people that are, you know, you know, in certain mindsets will attack them people Hmm. because they're feeling attacked by their very existence.
0: Well, look, let's move on to this issue of of so-called blood clots. Um, There is a lot of news, information, reporting about that. People are now beginning to understand that microclots and blood clots are associated with not only COVID-19 disease, but also with the COVID-19 shots. Um, And um, the more we look at this emerging area, the more we realize that um, these are not normal blood clots. The peer review often refers to unique blood clots. Um, They're not blood, really, in the sense that there are no platelets associated with them. Um, These are protonaceous clots. Um, they um, can be centimetres um, in in length. Um, they are not generally widely reported um, on on death certificates, but when you look at people like Ryan Cole and um, Anna Burkhardt, who have been uh, pathologists examining what what they can, you know, see and find in pathological examinations in post-mortems, um, It is fairly clear that these clots are of such a size and they are so obstructive that they are likely to lead to death. Now we know they don't form in everyone. We also know that they're quite unpredictable. But this idea that particularly when we see um, increased coercion through the authorization now in the United States of very young children, age six months to, to five years now being subjected to this when we know that this population group has almost no significant risk from COVID-19 disease. Um, this is a very important area because people just from an informed consent point of view need to understand that this is a risk. It is a very real risk. We we have seen big medical errors in the past with thalidomide, with Vioxx. Um, Creating these very unique clots within people is a is a massive medical risk. It's not being communicated. Um, how do we share that information with people without terrorizing them, yeah. without getting them to shut down further?
1: Well, it, it, that's a very challenging endeavor. I mean, the first thing I'd say is that, you know, once you've explained that science to me, i pretty much guarantee in 10 minutes time, I could not explain that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I can't create the picture in my mind. So really you need a story or a metaphor that it makes sense to that person. So really the way to say is the, that condition you described, it's like what? What's it like? Mm. Because until you can really get this, understand it at an unconscious level, you're never going to remember it's not going to affect the person's decisions because it's just in one ear and out of the other.
0: How's this? It's like um, thin slices of calamari being distributed through your circulatory system.
1: See, that's very visceral. Yeah, it's stretchy. If it gets into your heart, it's likely to stop your heart. But it doesn't feel good. No. See, here's the thing. And that's the thing about it is that I would say that the communication of this really, it's really a tough one. I think initially you, you want to communicate with the experts to explain this in this way to you know to really get them because this is when we get into the deeper levels which obviously we want to talk to the experts
0: who are doing this work are now facing sanctions from their medical boards. Absolutely they have been marginalized. Um, the two that are really in the front lines, we were both talking to one of them earlier, Ryan Cole, um, another is in Germany, Anna Burkhardt. Um, and they are being marginalized massively and and the whole pathology specialism is in suspended animation at the moment, yeah. being asked not to look at this subject.
1: Well, you see, you've got very strong forces at play in terms of, right, so if you come back to the decision tree again, you've got one person going down this thought, one person going down that thought. The forces are really pushing the way, so we've really got to find a way to, to really communicate this very effectively to people. But prior to that, you see, because you can't really deliver, because something's not understood, sorry, a message is not delivered until it's understood. So that's the key with the metaphor and the stories and that. But people won't let you deliver a message if you're in the opposing group. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you gotta do is to really show them that look, we're on the same team here. You know, once you can create a, a platform, the conditions where you can actually have an open conversation and then the doors open, then deliver the message. But that's really generally the biggest mistake that I'd say is, is happening. And it's not really, I'd say the people challenging it, it's not really their fault because you know there's you it's almost like you expect to have expertise in other channels that you possibly can't and the people working 50 60 hours a week trying to do this how can they learn other things so really it's then there's got to be a lot of coordination for working out okay what's this message how do we get it across how do we get people to see it how do we create these conditions that we can have a conversation where people literally will go okay there's something i need to see here they say so, so yeah. yeah it's and i think these things have to ask and i think Looking at the data aspects is really the you know a key thing from the scientific perspective. But there's what about a whole the graphical
0: piece. graphical images of it? I yeah, mean, um, l- again, Brian Cole has produced a lot of imagery from his own um, analyses, and there are images next to six-inch rulers, 15-centimeter yeah. rulers, so people can see the size of them. They are very stretchy. They're probably fibrin-based. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not blood-colored because they're not associated with platelets.
1: I'd say one of the things that's really key is this concept that's known as persuasion. And it's, it's really, as we're talking here now, you know, we're into certain moods that are aligned. But if you walk up to someone in the street, what mood are they in? Completely random mood. Um, and if you just throw stuff at them, a lot of the time the mood that gets elicited is the mood that just is objective, rejecting. You know, a bit like, you know, someone walks up to you on the street and hands you something. Your initial reaction now is to, I don't want that. It might be something you need but because we're kind of fed up with that. So a couple of just brief studies, like they would stop people in the street and they'd say to them, would you like to try this new product? 25% said yes. They stopped a different group of people. They said, oh, are you open-minded? Okay, almost 99% of people say yes. Would you like to try this new product? Goes up to 75%. The key really is what is the state of mind? What is the mood that the person's in as you present the data? So that's the first thing to do is you get some kind of commitment okay, we've got something important here. If you look at this data and it's something you need to know about, would you look at it with open eyes? Yeah. yeah. Once a person's committed to that. it's very this, helpful. Yeah, yeah, these are the, these, this, see, because there's a couple of things that if everyone knew, I think would be so valuable, and I made so many mistakes around this, is that if the person sees you as an opposition group, they dismiss everything, mm. okay? Then the mood that you access, if you access this like hypervigilant, I'm gonna pull everything this person says apart, so you present 10 pieces of information one of them has a little bit of wiggle room where do they focus
0: yeah on okay, that one yeah exactly
1: okay? because that tells you they see you as the enemy yeah. and this is like two lawyers they're they're not concerned with what's. you know we're going to generalize here they're not too concerned about you know the actual true factual nature we we've winning the argument yeah. two politicians when do they ever say the other guy's right
0: yeah
1: never because that isn't the goal. So this is really to understand what is the goal. So if you can get someone to see that their goal is the truth and all these other things, and you get them to accept that, then that's the frame of mind you access.
0: So that's getting them in the in the right emotional state, but it's also getting them onto the same team. Yeah, both and, of us. And say, when we're looking at coercion, vaccinations for children, it's perhaps understanding that that all of us all of us really interested in the best outcomes for our children. Yes, and, go and for the so, principle. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because this is the thing, and, and like literally just saying, the amount of times I've just said to the world, I'm on the same side as you, we're on the same side, and, and someone would go, what do you mean? I say, yeah, I said, you're here because you care about the health of your friends and family, that's why I'm here. Mm. That changes everything, yeah. trust me, yeah. because the caricature in their mind, Andy vexer doesn't care, he's out to harm people, all those things is what someone would think if someone had taken that route. But the minute you say no we've got the same outcomes here because this is the thing about this group identity this caricature that's created and the minute you someone says to how many times like you say something then people straight away is throwing you in a box and they're throwing tomatoes at that box yeah and that's where we've got to break those caricatures we've got to get those things and then once you get there another thing that's really really key is this 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 emotional state that we're in if someone's really scared the last thing they want to listen to is someone that's really angry yeah because unconsciously they're to you know anger is often associated with threat and whatever and if the person is really scared the last thing they want is an additional threat yeah. but you can understand why people are angry there's plenty to be angry about yeah. the problem is it just doesn't work yeah you know so yeah. this is the thing about you know really my my look on all this is practicality you know how do we take how do we get the practical things done that we need to get done and if I reacted Uh, without thinking about that, yeah, I could get angry and absolutely irate about some of the things that are going on.
0: This takes us really to the the next question, which is the FDA decision to um, authorise the genetic vaccines for kids from six months through to five years of age. And um, I think we're all very aware that This is an age group that really has had no significant history of severe disease. It seems the innate immune system does a pretty amazing job at um, at dealing with wild um, uh, virus, SARS-CoV-2. The notion that you need to protect very young children in order to protect granny um, doesn't make a lot of sense because we know the vaccines don't stop transmission so um f- in terms of a, a justification of a medical need there's very little evidence out there that the the system seems to be about the idea of just we want to make sure everyone's done the same thing and as part of the collective is all vaccinated so we're going to hit the, the the youngest people now th- They have produced a bit of science that that, um, tries to suggest that it's safe. In other words, um, there have been very severe, that the data that the FDA committee looked at um, reported on a single case of a very severe reaction and they're putting that down to coincidence, a bit like they're putting down to coincidence the elite athletes that are dropping dead on sports fields or in swimming pools. Um, The reality is that there is also some significant science that is now suggesting there could be a problem but it's too early to see a problem and um, these are involved with mechanisms in terms of how the immune system reacts to pathogens so if for example in a very young child the first time they are exposed to something that looks a bit like a coronavirus bearing in mind there are seven other coronaviruses that, that um, affect human beings um, and the first time they, they are exposed to it is the antigen that is produced in their bodies from the vaccine um, they will respond to that it's it's a similar principle it's called yeah. original antigenic sin and um, so when they are then exposed to other beta coronaviruses or wild SARS-CoV-2 they're immune performance will be suboptimal to the point that they could start getting sick. In addition to that, we know that it erodes their immune system. We have very little data on what happens when you keep on subjecting people every few months because of the waning effectiveness. And it may be at a six-month interval. We have no data, Mm. particularly on a developing immune system. So the risk, the potential for, for risk, the unknown, the uncertainty is huge yet. It seems that this group of people have decided the fate for the youngest, most vulnerable people in society. How do we address that?
1: Well, yeah, again, this is is really a complex one. Ayn Rand said, you can ignore reality, but not the effects of reality. Mm. Uh, That's really a key point, and humans tend to do that a lot. But see, it's not really what the facts are and what's real gets superseded by what people think the facts are. And what they think is real, mm-hmm. so that's really what's going on. Is that this is a, a war on perception? Is that whatever people think is going on? So I remember seeing a post, uh, one person posted up saying, you know, they're going to vaccinate like this is terrible, blah, blah blah. And then one guy said, oh, well, I need to protect my child. So think about like you know, take all the emotion out of it. That father is thinking, well, you know, there's this thing, it's bad. And this thing that I've told is good and can protect me from this thing that's bad. So all these experts are saying this. Well, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Okay. Now, shoveling in there with really strong staff and saying you're an idiot and all these things is actually going to make him do that even more. So the first thing, and, and I actually did make a comment. I said, you know, you know it's, it's great that you know, parents really care for the children so much. You know, it's really important. Um, so if there was an issue and the risks were not there, you'd want to know about it, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So that's it. So he's, he's open. And then I said, well, you know, these things. And so it's really...
0: But explaining complex mechanisms, we take them through original antigenics and immune oh, yeah. system End erosion and T-cell suppression. Yeah. They're not going no, to open up to that.
1: Because, no. I mean, Einstein said, you know, you if you can't explain it to a five-year-old and you can't you know you don't really okay. understand it there's these things it's got to be in everyday things to them and you'll notice that the messaging on the tv is very simple very simple metaphors very clear instructions very why we're doing the, all these things so it's really you know the the coming back to the influence factors again there's so many things in the messaging that are like tick boxes oh so the next expert? yes everyone's doing it yes you know Blah, blah, blah. So there's almost a tick box unconsciously in the mind that says, well, that feels right. And we've got to show people that, in fact, hardly anyone, you know, the numbers of uptake on that are so, so low. Mm. Yeah. So the way to to really frame it is really key. The framing is so key. So someone said to I remember in the early days, you know, this stuff's fantastic and, you know, X amount of people are doing it. And I said, well, I'm in a group of 30,000, like, health conscious people and the uptake's almost zero. Mm. Completely different. Yes, yeah, mm. so and now it's like, whoa, hang on, what do they know? Mm. So, you know, this social proof is one of the really most influential things is that, you know, and these things are hardwired into us. We, you know, if someone's, you know, if there's a big crowd of people and you're looking for food and a big crowd of people are going that way into a forest, what do they know? Mm. You know, so it's really hardwired there. It's problematic now because this is known by the marketers. So, if it's not popular, they'd tell us it's popular. So then yeah. when we think it's possible... But that is,
0: that is Desmond's mass formation, yeah. isn't it? I mean, they're just shooting off in that direction. They believe it's the right thing. There's loads of people doing it. Yeah. Whether it's the best thing they can do for their kid, they have suspended judgment on that because it's better to be part of that mass formation.
1: Yeah. Well, this is a lot of this thing. It's really, I guess, a, a big part of this is that what makes it into somewhat See, there's some things that... This comes on to really... The curse of knowledge. Yeah. Because there's some things that I'd like to explain, but it would be you we have to understand that each idea doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. Mm. It has hundreds of hundreds of ideas. So when you're would say one of those complex terms, you've got a picture because there's all these hundreds of ideas underneath propping that foundation. Mm. I wouldn't have those. So you have to find a way to give me a foundation for a story or metaphor that, that idea can sit on and rest, and then yeah. I can absorb it. And this is a lot of the thing where we try trying to explain things. We need foundational ideas so people can jump off from. And a lot of the public haven't been provided with good enough foundations to, to understand a lot of this science. And so this curse of knowledge is really, really key because, you know, when I explain something to you from my perspective and vice versa, we're not aware of what each other knows from that subject so you've really got to when you paint these metaphors and stories and explain it as though you were to a five-year-old that really means you go out of your way to to make sure that it's very clear Yeah, and I personally think that if the public had complete knowledge of what was going on then they would act very differently yeah you know and that's key
0: so so perhaps addressing the risk benefit by saying you know that you appreciate that that your children are naturally have a very high level of immunity to SARS-CoV-2, to, to, to the virus. And there is a risk that they could be producing within their body, these very unique clot structures that could cause harm. These may be associated with some of the athletes who are dying prematurely. The problem is the unpredictable nature. We know it doesn't happen. Yeah. Do you think looking at benefit and risk like that is, is, an option.
1: Well, you see, what you've got is each person is going to make in their decision with slightly different criteria. And you need to really appeal to what that person is making that decision from. If that makes like it's, is it really this push to safety? And of course, when it comes to these things, people aren't doing it logically. They're not looking at the people don't process. Our brain does not process numbers very well. So if you said to me, it's 0.25%, I, I, I know the number, but I can't fit. It, it doesn't really mean mm. much. If you said to me, you know, this would be the equivalent of drive to work. Ah, I've got context. Yeah. No, it makes that. So if you could say like, you know, as the newspaper when it did was very effective, you know, more children died of lightning strikes than COVID. Yeah. Okay. Now that's very real. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. So it's not a problem. Yeah. Okay. And there's the kind of things that when you can yeah. relate Mashable. this. Metaphor. Yeah. And I know that when uh, Claire did this, she did a real brilliant piece of work. This metaphor, it was taken down within a day. Yeah. Because the, really, the, if I could, you know, taking into consideration this curse of knowledge, if I could say something that is what goes into my conscious mind, often we'll just cut one It's what makes it into my unconscious mind that I then understand. And you can say, you know, and people can remember things like little stories and metaphors for a long while. Think about the circuit breaker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did that have any basis in science? Yeah like yeah, no, no but no. every single person knew what it meant and they understood this they is felt a UK felt, specific uh, yeah. I think
0: it was used in the UK not necessarily elsewhere but it, yeah Boris Johnson used it very effectively yeah um, and
1: people got it and they and they knew made sense of it and they said oh we're going to do this because of circuit breaker all of these things hmm. uh, metaphor stories questions really for me yeah. the, the presenting facts unless they're wrapped in those three things um, seems to be very ineffective
0: yeah The, the next one is this idea that we've been thinking and talking a lot about vaccines for the last year and a half. Yeah, um, it has been the central plank of of, of how society. It's the only way out. All over. Yeah, you've got to vaccinate yourself out of the the pandemic, and. Um, the reality is there's not a lot of evidence that it's been done before. I mean, if, if Same you look,
1: lockdown's marshal, isn't it, smallpox
0: isn't it? keeps on yeah. being used as, as an example. First of all, smallpox vaccine, any attenuated vaccine is very different from genetic vaccines that have not been used before at scale. So we have no real idea. But even smallpox, a lot of people don't realize that by the time the WHO unleashed the global vaccination program for smallpox in 1966. In North America and Europe and Australia, in the the industrialized world, smallpox was already gone. What was happening is there were small pockets in Africa. And in 66, they started that ring vaccination program. By 1979, it was all over. And by 1980, WHO said. And then over time, the narrative became it was the vaccines that got rid of it but yeah. you look at any, all the trajectories and, and that's the, viewed as the best, the most quintessential example. Um, so the, 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 as an ecological health scientist, the bit that I struggle with is that there's been so little talk about the physiology, the state of physiology, the state of immuno, immunological health that an individual has. What SARS-CoV-2 has done immaculately is a poor terrain. It's one of the reasons that we see such a diversity of symptoms. So where people have a physiological weakness, that seems to be the bit that, that SARS-CoV-2 goes after. Um, and we could have spent an awful lot of time addressing that terrain. Most of the way in which we deal with that terrain, unfortunately doesn't involve selling a product, like a vaccine okay. or a medicine. It involves good lifestyle. It, it, it in fact requires personalized Personalized <laughs> diet and, and, and lifestyle. Yeah. So um, in order to create healthier populations, we need to kind of move away from this idea that there's going to be a silver bullet, whether it's in a form of a vaccine or a, a pharmaceutical, you know, antiviral, um, we are getting sicker. Uh, our, our overall immune and general resilience is going down because of industrialized lifestyles, sedentary lifestyles, yep. the digital age and all the rest of it, we've got to get to grips with the fact that we have to start addressing the terrain. How do we deal with that?
1: Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's again, it comes about to this convenience. The path for least resistance is what people will want, unless, of course, there's more pain than pleasure associated with it. See, because mm-hmm. at the binary, it's showing people that, you know, people that, I think a lot of people don't realize how good you can feel. And when they feel that way, you know, they're going to want more of it. I think that's a really big answer, a big question. It's one we want to look at more. But for me, again, it's like people are very rigid in their positions. We all are. It's the way the brain works. And, you know, if you can deliver information that shows them an alternative pathway and it feels good, people open up. But what you can't do is push against where they currently are. So, you know, it's the classic, you know, I mean, it's almost a, It's just the world's upside down where you have, you know, an overweight person, you know, wearing a mask, screaming at a super healthy person, you know, do what's healthy for me like. And it's like, well, come on, surely the logically the best way that someone could protect them and other people is to be healthy. Yeah, There's like zero airtime on that, isn't there?
0: Exactly. I mean, actually, if you look at most of the statistics in medicine, they deal with disease, morbidity and mortality, disease and death. And so there's very little in the way of research that looks at healthiness, mm-hmm. and what increases health frame. span. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's basically, it's the way we look at it because we're just looking at the problem and we're not looking at the solutions. Yeah. And of course, the people, and then you've got vested interest, the people that are making the decisions. Uh, again, the question is, where is their loyalty? Mm. You know, and it's very easy because it doesn't have to be conscious loyalty either. If you're on the paycheck of someone, it's very hard to, you know, come out against that person. Yeah. You know, it's very, very key. So I think for me, understanding these unconscious um, forces is really, really, really key. Mm. And Once we understand them more, we understand what drives people, because really this is a bit that this is a, we could get into a really deep conversation. We obviously can have another time, but there's four basic needs of a human being. And when they get met, they tend to behave and perform much, much better. One of the biggest problems is that we misinterpret those needs.
0: Can you just tell us the four needs?
1: Uh, well, actually, um, you know, there's there's the safety aspect, there's the being part of groups, there's influencing people, there's being uh, having an intimate partner, and the, the uh, being socially accepted. Yeah. So these are really, really key. And, of course, you'll see a little narrative really plays on a lot of those. If any of those are not met, then what happens is we look externally to meet them and this is where we get into the problem so if you look at rat park which is i'd highly recommend people looking into this because it's very uh, very powerful is that um they was trying to study addiction in the mm-hmm. 70s i think it was 60s and 70s so they mm-hmm. put a rat in a cage and they give it two water bottles one water bottle is laced with heroin and the other one's just water mm-hmm. and pretty much every time the rat overdosed yeah and then Colin Alexander come along, who had a bit more logic about him, and said, well, that's not the rat's natural environment. Of course, someone's isolating the cage. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, I take drugs, I think someone said that. And yeah. so, so what he did, he created Rat Park. Yeah. Beautiful, loads of toys, colors, food they can mate. They can do whatever they want. He put two water bottles in their heroin and water. They hardly touched a heroin, and they never yeah. overdosed. Yeah. So then needs were met, so it acted very differently. And this is the thing that we it's easy just to look at the thing we're looking at and not see the deeper things underneath. So if a person is overweight, you could argue that, you know, the food is replacing other stuff. It could be that they've not got certain nutrients, so they're continuously hungry. It's, it's not like, you know, it's, it's other things are going on. It's not that they a lack of willpower and all these things as often we think. It's yeah. that, you know, if the unconscious mind sees food as a way to meet its needs, it will f- pretty much force you to get that food. Yeah. So and this is what we're seeing. So then people are craving connection and then you see all these things where we're, as a you know, community, we're going massively out of this, where we're doing you know, social media and, and pornography and all these things are going off because we're not getting the things we need.
0: But it's pretty hard as well. You've spent 18 months hearing about, or in fact, it's been two and a half years, um, hearing that there, first of all, was going to be a vaccine created for this that was going to... I'll help everyone escape from it, yeah, and, an then, man- and then now it's being pushed yeah, on them. Exactly. It's very hard to to imagine that this thing that we eat every day um, is going to have the power of something that's been made in a high tech lab. This concept of food as medicine mm. to to see it on the same par as Absolutely. as a pharmaceutical product or that, that's had billions thrown into it. Is, is a difficult one for people to get their heads around it. It's always, it comes up as, as yeah, we know that's sort of a good background thing to do, yeah but can it replace that technology? For most people, they're so bought into the technocratic solution yeah. and that they can't not see it. And you're not gonna
1: really, so this comes about, you're not really gonna be able to convince them on that logical level. Mm. You know, when you get good examples of people that are very healthy, they never get sick and all these things. Cause, a lot of the time we look at those around us, you see someone, they're very healthy, they're doing all these things, they're at loads of energy, I want some of that. Because hmm. you pull towards it. Yeah, and I think that's the key. And I think we need a complete reshift about how we look at how the way we relate to food, relate to our environment, relate to each other, so all of these things. But it's, you know, we're in a state now where I don't think we can avoid that anymore. But
0: yeah. a, It sounds like we need to do more of what we've already started doing, which is to study healthy, unvaccinated <laughs> populations and, yeah. and getting that information out is actually an important part of it. There's no doubt that that from an evolutionary point of view, we're in the middle of of the sixth mass extinction. Um, When species start going extinct, um, they start producing more viruses. So there's going to be increased chance of spillover from animal populations, these zoonotic pathogens spilling over into human populations. That's that's a fact. On top of that, we've got a real risk that's not accepted by the mainstream as yet, that global mass vaccination with COVID-19 vaccines is actually weakening the immune system. And now we've got RSV, yeah. we've got a whole bunch of, of, of new pathogens that are, uh, and I, also I'm because still, we've I'm been still,
1: isolated. I'm still stuck on the opening sentence of that. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. This is okay. a classic example. Yeah. Okay. Well, hang on a minute. Six months. Mm. So oh, I'm like, dark place, you know? Mm. So it's like, how do I get my head around this? Mm. So. All the words come out. So this is really what the, elicit, the initial elicitation of the state is so key. The, the first impressions are yeah. everything. Yeah. So, you know, to talk about mass extinction on that level, it's very hard for me to see any solution when it's framed that way. So it's really key that we look at how we frame it. David, David
0: Attenborough has framed it in that way. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, a, it's well, a reality that there's just a freefall of biodiversity at the moment linked to. Well, this
1: is the key because. It may well be true, you know,
0: but it's It's interesting. It's one of the reasons I believe that we're being asked in terms of the environmental crisis that we're facing to look at climate change, because we can look at CO2, that CO2 emissions can be managed, uh, sequestration can be increased, um, but actually dealing with the freeform biodiversity that's linked to habitat destruction and pollution and all these other things, that's a complicated problem to resolve. So, we've been sort of, if you like, marshaled into this very narrow perspective As we are. of what the environmental crisis actually is. Yeah,
1: well that's hypernormalization, is it? It's like really make this thing appear very simple and then you do this and it'll be over. Mm. You know, it's very, very clear. The, the, the details are complex. How? scientists speak to the public is of critical importance.
0: That's why we're talking about it now. And it's literally,
1: (laughs) how do you make it that this is, uh, one, something I know that I need to be involved with, two, that I get some form of control because people feel by and large helpless. And, And I don't think that's completely accidental because the structure of learned helplessness is very straightforward. You give people an insolvable problem and sure enough, soon enough, they're gonna feel quite helpless. So if you've got two, say you had two doorways out of here and you went to that one, you got electric shock and then you went to the other one, you got electric shock. That's it. <laughs> your yeah. options are done and then you just learn to be helpless. You've got nowhere to go.
0: Lie on your back and say, yeah. just do it to me. Yeah, exactly. I'll accept anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah."
1: and that's what you get with people. So I think we've really got to empower people, let them, once people get the power, once it, we look at how many people have really you know, turned into lie in the last two years. Mm. Something like was woken up in them to go, okay, I need to do something about this and a lot of it wasn't really a choice they felt compelled
0: the the, the common statement that people make i knew something wasn't right about exactly. it exactly i wasn't exactly them, sure but and it wasn't one right one of
1: the sentences of the way in. yeah so i mean it's not quite right if it was really important would you want to know about it yeah because people don't really want their belief system changed all these things and i'm just talking about what's practical and we could argue about the rights and wrongs of it but the rights and wrongs are separate from what works this is what's so key. So the people pushing the narrative—they've expertise at getting people to behave a certain way and predict their behaviour. They're not really concerned with ethics, in my opinion, and all these things. So we need to be very ethical, but practical, and also really understand the forces at play in someone's decision. And it's always different. And we need to understand how our brains function, how we dismiss certain information, how we listen to certain things and really understand that. So when we deliver a message that it's really got massive chance of being delivered.
0: Well this actually brings us on to the the final question which is this idea of these polarized communities thinking that they have to win an argument and the 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 view is amongst all of the scientific uncertainty we need better science we need to get away from cherry picking scientific studies we need to look at the totality of evidence and if we can produce higher and higher quality evidence that's going to be published in the new england journal of medicine lancet bmj etc we will reach Closer to understanding the truth of what's really going on, Um, can higher quality science end up winning the argument?
1: High quality science is always needed and always, you know, preferable. Has anyone ever won an argument with their partner or their parents? (laughs) Okay, let's be realistic about this. Like you never, you never beat someone into submission. You know in terms of oh yes how is it ever that you say oh you're wrong and here's the data and they go oh my god you're absolutely right i you know I, did the,
0: but did the round earthers win an argument over the flat earthers
1: well it never happens does it they, they <laughs> literally you never convert them to a certain degree the
0: flat earthers are still around it's
1: stories yeah. that convert it's really absorbing information that converts it's really for me it's the you know in that selective attention test you can't unsee the gorilla so it's really Getting that person exposed to that information is they own it. Once they mm. own it, they will make different decisions because it's really all about how I see the world. If you get me some information into my system that adjusts that, I'll see it differently. Mm. And that's really what it's about. It's really getting that information into the unconscious mind. It doesn't really get battered in there. It's like, you know, we again when you see these two politicians, it's about winning the argument. Mm. And of course a lot of the time we have to let go. Of trying to win because if we do try and win, that kind of energy gets resisted. Very Quite often, that's thousand. about
0: which, when it comes to political debate, and and, and frankly, the COVID debate is largely political. Yeah. Um, it's which messenger do we prefer?
1: Yeah.
0: You know who's delivered better? You know, it's not, it's not really about the facts of the argument. It's yeah. Which person do we like? Do we relate to Absolutely. more? Well, the
1: key is that we we think that we act and behave. A little bit different than we do we we don't think that certain things would affect us when we do there was a study run on the 2015 general election and they surveyed I think it was about 10,000 people and they said we want to put a penny onto VAT to employ 10,000 extra nurses mm-hmm. now half of the participants were told it was a conservative initiative and half of them told it was a labor initiative
0: mm-hmm.
1: when they surveyed the labor people and they said it's labor initiative it got four times the support and mm. vice versa the same. It didn't really matter what the thing was, it mattered where it came from. Mm. So as people, we're heavily influenced by who conveys information. If it's our group, it's probably right. If it's the other group, it's probably wrong. So really overcoming these, you know, we, every group will inherently suffer from this. And we have mm. to, It's again one of these biases, and this is when we touch on these biases, and there's roughly really about 100 important ones we need to look at. And pretty much for me, science needs to say, like, a bias is saying if I'm going to aim an arrow there, but it goes six inches to the left, okay, I need to take account for the wind's going there, so I need to make account for that. Mm. That's what biases are. Science needs to know these biases and take them into consideration. Mm. And I thought they largely did, looking, you know, in the past at this data. But so many times in the narrative, it just completely ignores them, or even, well, I think the behavior science is weaponizing them, to be honest. I think that's when, when you look at books. There's a very, very good book, um, at The Choice Factory, and the, the gentleman that's wrote it is very intelligent. He's talking about the 25 ways that you can use biases to sell more products. Mm. Mm. I mean, wow, like, you know, there it is. That's effectively what's doing. It's, you know, taking the vulnerabilities of our mind and presenting information so we see it a different way from it might actually be.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so it's very keen, but coming back to the question, can you win arguments? I, I pretty much don't think that's how science debate really works and you know, if you look through science, the people that push against it, you know, it's always a challenge. So David Bohm wrote a book called On Dialogue and it's fantastic and it's how to create this circle of conversation where it's not egos and everything else, we throw the ideas in there and we, we work out what the solution is and if you can get that kind of when you're talking to someone the first thing to do is not to see them as the opposition because if you do see them as an opposition your body language your tonality everything reflects that mm. and they're automatically going to be on guard from first word yeah mm. and if you imagine the extreme so let's say um, you've got somebody that you know is very much anti all the narrative and he's standing there with a big board you know farmers trying to hurt us. Mm. You've got someone at the other end who's got, you know, two masks on, gloves on and a mask on a dog. Those two people see each other.
0: Mm. It's over. Yeah.
1: Already. They've yeah. they've they've said, right, this is where I am. It's yeah. a bit like one's wearing a you know one team and the other's the opposite team.
0: Yeah.
1: It's over. You've yeah. got to get on the same side. Until we get on the same side and agree on a principle, and we can go on that principle. We're here because we care about our health then you'll find that we'll start to move somewhere. But if you push against people, they're going to defend so staunchly that it's almost impossible. I mean, I don't know. I've actually tried it as as an example. It was in conversations and social media conversations. I tried to stay as opposition and present absolutely gold data and debate the hell out the other person. Mm. I just don't think it can be done. There are times when you want to be in opposition if the audience is more important. So if you've got, one of these clowns that's you know you sold his soul to the devil into a public debate, then go to town yeah. you know because it's the audience that really is the key in that yeah but if you want to if you want the person that you're talking to to hear what your message is there's certain things it has to be you have to be on the same side, you have to be you know. Tick these boxes, and then the conversation opens.
0: So you, the other sort of tip that you're really inferring is that you really need to understand quite a lot about the person you're yeah. talking to before you just launch into conversation. Yeah, but the first um, thing is to
1: listen. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's you got you got to know where they're at. Yeah, because otherwise you you don't know how to pitch it to be on their team.
1: Yeah, and another key thing. There's one thing that I haven't mentioned actually is is to honour someone's experience is really really key yeah you don't have to agree with it yeah but to honor it i mean think about when we say things or whatever we get totally dismissed it's not pleasant is it so yeah. it's really this honor thing they may have a bad idea they may have all these things but at large people are not nasty people they've just got bad ideas and ideologies there are some pretty evil people around but they're generally small in numbers yeah. So, we've got to think the best of people before things. But if we honor where they are, we honor them. And a lot of people haven't had that. So, it's really interesting when you just do it to everyone. It's just really pleasant for them. You just hear them, listen to them, yeah. honor their experience. They might be scared. Oh, you know, I hear that you're scared.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. The fact that you think it's nonsense is, you know, you're not doing that person. If you dismiss their fear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that doesn't, you know, warm them, does it? So, yeah, yeah. that's really key. And I think just the f- intention to listen will warm the conversation up. Because yeah. often, and I understand why this is, and I was like this from the start. It's like, I have a piece of important information, I need to bang this into you because it's so important that you hear this and then, you know, the world's going to, you know, off a cliff. Mm. That's a perfectly logical line of thought. It just never works. Yeah, I think yeah, well, yeah. all, and I think the good thing is now, is that a lot of people realize that don't work. It mm. doesn't work. So, so many people are open to understanding you know why have people changed their beliefs so quickly and how is it that we can start to have these conversations
0: yeah yeah david it's been absolutely fascinating talk talking to you i'm sure the audience have picked up lots of new tips and advice on how to speak to to other people um it is really about understanding each other and breaking down this polarization that it, it seems has been deliberate it's a deliberate construct is it not of the behavioral scientists people like you Working on the other side, who, who've kind of manipulated the public to feel the, the way they are, and, and we we can break this down, but we've got to learn to be on the same team before yeah. we can make progress. Because that's the
1: key. When we talk about other side, who is the other side? Yeah, the public generally, are all on the same side. No one's going out. You know, the other side of the people don't communi- You know, don't really care about humanity, and they have their own interests at heart. Mm. Okay. Most people want to, you know, live a fair life, decent life, you know, all these things, get their needs met.
0: Care about their children. and yeah, all these yep.
1: things, you know, and that's it. So I, I think um, these things for me, they've been there a long while and now they're just, you know, the light's there that we can see them. So yeah, Amazing.
0: Thank yeah. you. It's been a pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much, David.